Hello, this is Mark Rich Wilson and you're listening to Into This. Into This is my podcast, welcome to it. And in it, I talk to people about contemporary arts, artists, curators, um, students, and pretty much everybody involved in the community, uh, mostly in the city of Montreal in Canada. Today, I have a very special episode for you. It's a conversation I had with painter Janet Werner back in 2017 at the end of the year. And yeah, I've been waiting for this moment to come when uh, I had the chance to edit it and produce it. And finally, we're going to post it. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. I just wanted to say quickly, thanks to everybody who has been supporting us in the recent project we started uh, with TAP, TAP Art Space. It's been great, honestly. I We really didn't expect the type of uh, response that we've been getting. A lot of really good comments from the community and a lot of attention from people involved. And that's more than we expected with the project. Uh, Raul Aguilar and Marcela Borges' show called The State of Our Employability is still in view until June 9th. You can email us or you can visit on Wednesdays from 6 to 9 p.m. We'll be there, the artists will be there. And I think I think that makes a difference when, when you visit the space and you see the work and you have the chance to have a one-to-one -one conversation with the artists, I think everything changes because, you know, they can give you access to it in a way that only they can. And no, I think it's been great. Uh, it's been becoming something that, you know, projects sometimes take their own direction and you are there just to kind of, you know, guide them a little bit towards somewhere that you want the project to go. But I think that it's important to let them be whatever they are. And this project, TAP, um, it's, it's surprising to me. I mean, you know, when people come in and, and we talk and, and all that, it feels like a, a hybrid. It feels like a hybrid between a studio visit and a gallery, right? It's somewhere in between, but I think that people feel really comfortable in the space when they come and, and you can engage with the work. It's, you know, uh, it's, it's very small, so, you know, there's not too much more that you can do there. And I don't know, I'm pretty happy about how things are evolving. And I invite you to come by and, and chat with us uh, again, Wednesdays from six to nine or by appointments. You can check TAP Montreal, so that's tapmontreal.com for scheduling and more information about the shows and the upcoming shows as well. Okay, so back to Janet Werner. So yeah, as I was saying, we met up in September last year. And at the time, she had just opened a show at Parisian Laundry called Sticky Pictures. And we talk about that. We talk about the transition of her work from straight up portraits and into what has become lately, which is more um, that she's kind of like inviting the viewer to be a little bit more present in her painting process. And I think that comes across in the new paintings and it's amazing. A good chunk of the conversation went also into talking about how people get involved for the first time in the community, in the arts in general. And I think everybody has their own experiences and their own influences. And uh, it was funny this time because I asked her that, but she also asked me that. <laughs> That was very interesting for me, you know, to, to also share a little bit more than I usually do. And I felt really comfortable talking to Janet 
Some people told me before the interview that she was a little bit shy. Even she told me that she was a little bit shy, but I really never felt that. But I mean, at the end of the day, she's a professor, right? <laughs> so let me tell you a little bit more about her career. She moved to the States to go to the Maryland Institute College of Arts, and she got her bachelor's from there. And then she went to Yale University in uh, Connecticut, where she received her master's of fine arts in 87. And then she moved back to Canada and she started teaching at the University of Saskatchewan in Saskatoon. And then years after, she moved to Montreal to teach at Concordia. And she's been teaching there for over 15 years now. Her work can be found in private and public collections all over North America and Europe. And she had participated in solo and group exhibitions basically all over the place. As I said, uh, we had this conversation right after she had her solo exhibition at Parisian Laundry in Montreal. And um, I am truly, truly happy and satisfied with my conversation with Janet Warner. And I hope that you guys enjoy it too. I'll talk to you at the end of this. All right. Enjoy. Okay. Good to go. So, I do have this thing in front of my face, but I'll, get, I'll just it forget weird? about it. I'll forget about it. Right? Yeah, it's like a little bit intrusive. In a your, little like, bit. Yeah. Your field of vision, but it's okay. Yeah. All right. So why don't you introduce yourself? Just tell me your name and what do you do? Okay. So my name is Janet Werner. I'm an artist, painter. I teach at Concordia and I've been in Montreal for 17 years. 17. Yes. It's yeah. the longest I've lived anywhere. Right. Aside from Winnipeg, where I grew up. And how long did you spend in uh, Saskatchewan? Because you, you were teaching there before, right? Yes, I was there for, um, I think it was 10 years. Or was it 12? 87 to 99, 12. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I've been here longer than that. Wow. Yeah. How's that? Which part? Been like a long time in Montreal. Oh, well, it's interesting because even though I've been here the longest... I still don't feel as connected to Montreal as I did to Saskatoon because I'm from the prairies, so I have a strong connection to that landscape. And Montreal is a whole different kind of context. It's much more of a big city, an urban center. So it's a different vibe, and I feel, you know, it's home as much as anywhere is home at this point, but I still long for something that's a little quieter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you miss Winnipeg? Not Winnipeg. No. But sometimes I miss the prairies a bit. Yeah. Yeah, because the light, the space, and the relative quiet, I'd say. I guess as an artist, you always think like, where is the art being made? New York or London? You never thought of like going to the bigger city? I never seriously thought about moving to a bigger city just to live as an artist. Mm -hmm. So when I was a graduate student in New Haven, I was pretty close to New York City. And I did not move to New York when I finished grad school. Instead, I... Moved to Saskatoon, (laughs) (laughs) which looking back on it now, I think was maybe not the best career choice. Oh, is that right? Yeah. How come? Well, I mean, make it as an artist in Saskatoon. Mm. Sure. (laughs) But the primary reason why you moved there was to teach, right? 
Yeah, it was yeah. it was the job. Yeah. So that that was not the plan from the beginning. No. Ah. No, no. I never thought I was going to teach. I never wanted to teach particularly, uh, but I did also not want to be a waitress anymore, <laughs> which is Where what I was doing before oh, I went okay, to grad okay. school. Yeah. So I didn't know that there was any other choice. I was like, is it waitressing or teaching? Uh-huh. And I thought teaching was a better choice. Were you a good waitress? I was a good waitress. I was. Yeah. Um, I it was a performance. Sure. You know, and not unlike teaching, um, it's a performance and it's a high stress job. And I was pretty good at being organized and balancing it. But it's very stressful and you don't make very much money in the end. Yeah. But yeah, it's true that it's really fast paced. It's a very fast paced and it's usually evening work. And then afterwards you're so you're pumped with adrenaline they have to go out and spend all the money you just made. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I, I mean it just never seemed like I, I mean I wasn't gonna be a career waitress. Sure, yeah. Yeah. No, but it was it's tiring, it's exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so is teaching. Well, for sure, I guess. <laughs> um, let's get into that. How do you get the position after your MFA? When I finished my MFA, I didn't, I didn't know what to do, other than apply for teaching jobs. I mean, some of my uh, peers did move to New York: John Curran, Lisa Uscavage, like famous artists um, who I knew at grad school. They moved to New York and they became famous artists. Um, but most of the people scattered to the winds and I've never heard about them again. And really out of a lack of imagination, I don't know what else I, I was going to do. I applied for teaching jobs. Mm-hmm. But that, <laughs> lack I mean, of that, imagination. No, I mean, like, <laughs> not lack of imagination. It's more like looking for like a safe. A safe, yeah. Like. I, I, I was, I, I'm Jewish, so I was raised like you got to be safe. You got to be secure. You got to like have a decent income. That was something that I kind of, I, I guess I expected that for myself that I had to support myself yeah, in a way that was going to be secure-ish. Sure. But at the same time, you always probably thought of keeping your practice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that is, in fact, one of the best jobs you can have. Totally. It allows you to keep your practice going. And at the end, you're like talking about art every day, right? Exactly. I mean, when you teach. Yeah. So when, yeah. you, when you started teaching, did you have like a really big load of classes or? Yes, I did. Mm. I... My first job was at the University of Saskatchewan, and it was a very, very heavy teaching load. There was five, five courses. Five classes? <laughs> yeah. That's insane. It was insane. It was like a circus. It was an absolute circus. And uh, I was young, so I could do it, but I also had no experience. So it was traumatic. Oh, and for sure. Do you have TAs, at least? Uh, it was um, set up in a certain way where... I didn't have TAs, but there were grad students who taught what they called labs. Mm -hmm. So I taught two hours, and then the grad students taught two hours. And that was how they structured it, so -hmm. that you could teach more classes. But it was very crazy. And by the time I left, we were only doing four. And then they were starting to argue for three. (laughs) (laughs) But here I teach two, so I... I uh, I was gone by the time they got it down to three. Right, but it's it's been always like that at Concordia too. Yeah, not not just Concordia, but other universities in Quebec. Oh, okay. It's pretty standard. Oh. Two is standard, and it's 
it's in some other places outside of Quebec also, but mostly it's three outside of Quebec. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure why it's so civilized here. <laughs> There's a lot of rights around here, for sure. Yeah, they, yeah. they, I, that's one of them. That was my main motive for coming yeah. here, really. No, it's true. It's sort of like this socialist aspect of Canada, it's a lot more accentuated in Quebec, for sure. Yeah. What, yeah. what do you teach in University of Saskatchewan? Uh, I taught painting and drawing. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I've always taught. Uh-huh. Yeah. Five classes of the same, yeah? Well, three, you know, two of one and three of another. Right. Um, introdu- I taught all levels uh-huh. of painting and oh, drawing. Oh, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I'm jumping from Saskatchewan to, to Quebec, to Montreal, but so when you moved here, mm. uh, when do you start taking grad students as a mentor? Well, we did that also in Saskatchewan yeah. as well. You always were also serving uh, in the grad program there. Um, you know, you'd have a committee set up and you would either be a member or a supervisor for two or three students per year. And here it's similar, mm-hmm. although we also have a graduate, you know, we have a graduate seminar, which I sometimes teach. Mm-hmm. If you can teach graduate students. <laughs> yeah, how's that? What does that mean? Like, what does that entail to, like, mentor? Gra- okay, okay, okay. Let's, let's go back. Let's go to, back. Let's go back to, okay. <laughs> so, like, w- what aspects of teaching do you enjoy? Okay. And what do you not so much? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, I really love looking at paintings. I love looking at the work students produce and... I enjoy talking about it with especially the undergraduates. I find the most pleasure really is in the, I teach primarily intermediate level classes and it means that the students are still open, but they already have a lot of skills. So it's the most pleasurable one for me. They're still really excited and open. (laughs) (laughs) So are you saying that the grad students are really like pretty... uh... <laughs> Grad students are a whole nother different kettle of fish. <laughs> it's difficult. Grads teaching teaching the grads is difficult because they're so different from each other, and they're all form. They're all very often, you know, they've moved from elsewhere to be here, and there's a lot of insecurity and vulnerability, and they have high expectations of themselves and also of you. The demands are great, and so there's a lot of pressure, mm-hmm. and it makes it a little less fun, mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if I can say that. Okay, I mean <laughs> that. I mean that makes sense. It's just people with more more invested. Yeah, they're more invested. Yeah, I guess like when you decide to do an MFA, it's the second layer of commitment, which is you know saying like I will do this for real. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you can and there's still, often yeah. a lot of uh, uh, discontent sometimes, you know, because of all those expectations. So they're very critical. They're very critical. <laughs> with with the professors, yeah, or with the program with, with in general, both, yeah. both, both, yeah, and probably with themselves also. Yeah, you know, right. It's not easy. I think yeah. it's an awkward moment sometimes. However, having said that. I think that they may be having a great time. <laughs> Some of them. Maybe. I mean, I think that any time that is like a very interesting learning experience, you want it to be kind of 
tough. You know, you wanted to prove probably your limits as well. Mm -hmm. So I guess for an artist is that too. Mm -hmm. And do you ever do the critiques? Oh, How yeah. that goes? You mean? Yeah, in general with grad students. Oh, or, yeah, or often. Is it more common to do it with grad students or undergrads? Both. 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 This is one of the things that I've learned uh, through teaching. I mean, because it's not something that came naturally to me at all. So one of the things that teaching has taught me is how to communicate, hopefully, effectively with students and how to provide some kind of critical feedback that's still encouraging and supportive. That did not come easily. Of course, because you have a taste or like I say, uh, your subjective way of looking at things, right? Especially mm -hmm. art. Mm -hmm. And that's your way of seeing it. But I guess if you're a professor, you need to step aside of that, no? To be more like objective? Well, I mean, hopefully if you're at the level of being an instructor, you have enough of a knowledge base and um, an understanding of a wide range of practices that you can address many different kinds of work with interest and fairly. So it's not so much that that's the problem. It's more like communicating. It's difficult. It's very, very challenging to look at someone's work and try to assess it and understand it. First of all, I'm talking now at the grad level. Yeah. To understand where they're coming from, because even though you have this wide knowledge base, there's still a lot of very individual and eccentric practices. And it's not easy to access. Any, grad students aren't always the best at describing or talking about what they do that's developing. And You know, there's this nurturing that you have to be able to, you have to be able to see where it could go. Right. Where things could go, not just where they are right this second. Uh-huh. It's hard. It's challenging. That's also of my interest to ask you. As a professor, do you care a lot about, like, teaching students how to communicate that, for instance, like, either in a written manner or, you know, by talking to sort of, like, discuss their work and to sound maybe more quote-unquote professional? It's not really so much of a, an issue at the undergraduate level. It's never a focus of my classes at the intermediate, intermediate level. It's more maybe it comes into focus more in the upper levels. But certainly at the graduate level, they have to produce a text that goes with their MFA thesis exhibition. So it has to be coherent and has to be be articulate, they have to be able to speak to what they're doing in, in an intelligent way. It's part of the requirements, yeah. Yeah, I think that in general, in, if you're in school, you are required to be able to write. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It doesn't matter what discipline. Yeah, you know, some students, depending on the work, some students are better at it than others. And some students, you know, it's in sometimes, this is always a struggle for, especially for painters you know, to to uh, to write about what they're doing. And it's not always, I don't know that it's so important really, ultimately in terms of the strength of the work to be able to talk about it. Um, but certainly there are moments where you have to be able to. Yeah. For proposals and grants and... Prizes. Prizes and your defense and all that. Yeah. I'm going to make a link to your practice to your practice as an artist. Um, when does that come as an important part, the writing 
Is it ever important in your creative process? Or well, at any time of the process of art making? Like, as with the graduate students, there are moments where I'm asked to produce a text that relates to what I'm doing for grants or exhibitions. And I struggle with that just as they do. It's really difficult for me because I don't, I don't sort of think in words. Words don't come easily when I'm making work. It doesn't come out of an idea that's verbal. You know, it's something that I'm working out through the making. And then I can talk about it afterwards. So I struggle with that just like, I mean, I, I only have to produce a small amount of text You know, I had one artist statement that I used for 20 years. Oh, really? <laughs> the same one. It's like one. Oh, that's helpful. Yeah, four paragraphs, but it always applied, you know. So, okay. Yeah, but now I have to produce a new one because my work shifted. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it is true. And so, I, I want to get into that too. Yeah. So so how do you describe your work before the shift? Let's go back to, to before the new kind of like era. Well, I was Janet. able to, I was able to, um, talk about it in relation to the idea of the portrait. Mm -hmm. And so that that was a nice, easy kind of framework, even as though they weren't portraits, really. They were not portraits of anybody, but still it allowed me to create a frame for what I was doing. So uh, that was quite useful. Mm -hmm. And as I said, like I was able to really keep on using that same framework for a very, very long time, even mm -hmm. though work was always changing. Yeah. So um, you don't consider them portraits? Well, yes, in the sense that they are representations of individual figures against, well, there was not much in the background. Mm -hmm. So it was just representations of individual figures, but mm -hmm. the figures were invented, so they weren't really portraits in the conventional sense. And it was exactly that difference that, you know, I was really playing with all the time was like, how is it a portrait? How is it not a portrait? Who are these people? Why are we looking at them? Uh-huh. And it was always out of your mind. There was never like a picture that you... There were. I mean, yeah. it started out as it was out of my mind and it, they were invented initially. In fact, they came out of abstraction. And then for a period of maybe three years, they were from imagination. And then I moved to Montreal. And when I moved to Montreal, I started using secondary sources, mm -hmm. photographs of anonymous figures, models. And I struggled with the photographic reference source for a long time. And then they kind of mutated into being based on collages where I would pull from different sources. And I play. I was playing with a lot of distortion and kind of playing with undermining the portrait in different ways. So they kept changing. The process was also changing. Yeah. How how did it change? Like, what was the process before? Or how's your normal process of creation mm. of your paintings? I don't know what's normal anymore. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess uh, normal is normal is not a good way, a word. Yeah. Um, But as I said, I was, I've been using a collage process uh -huh. a lot over the last, I don't know, seven years, something like that, and sort of knitting together an image from different sources. Mm -hmm. So it incorporates the idea of chance and it incorporates the idea of things that don't fit easily together and it incorporates 
the idea of like one thing slipping into another so that there's a sense of a strange kind of time embedded in them mm -hmm. um, and a shock. Yeah, for sure. And when you say that there was a shift, what what is that? What shifted? Well, uh, I've started including things that are not portraits uh -huh. into the work and sometimes um, looking at the source material itself. Like I've been using photographic images to, to as a springboard, as a starting point. And so now I'm actually representing the photographs. You can see that they're, they're not really people. They're images of people that are being kind of messed around with. Mm -hmm. So that's one shift. And then there's also an emptying out of the space so that there's a lot more focus on where the figure would have been or could be. Right. Mm -hmm. In your last show at Parisian Laundry, um, that's what I saw. And I think uh, we talked about this before, that it looked a little bit more um, kind of like an intimate conversation with the viewer, sort of like you invite us to like come into the studio. Like, I'm going to show you what I do, kind mm -hmm. of, you know, mm -hmm. like how I think of these figures or... Is that right? Well, I was really, really pleased to hear people responding to the new work that way because I was anxious that people would feel that they were less personal and less mm. intimate. Um, so I was pleasantly surprised by that response. Although I didn't know if it was interesting to have to invite people into the studio mm. to see the mechanics like mm. behind the scenes stuff. I kind of thought, well, how interesting is that when artists start talking about their own immediate environment mm. of the studio? So um, I wasn't sure about that. Mm -hmm. But people, just the fact that people would use the word intimate, I think, is interesting. Or, you know, that, that they felt somehow that there's um, more access I thought that was kind of nice. I was I was not disappointed to hear that. Yeah, I mean, I always talk here with my guests about the different kind of like avenues to access works. Mm -hmm. It's not so much about, you know, the word, like the forbidden word in as like understanding or not understanding. It's more about you having a different point of view to it, mm -hmm. period. And then that's what I think it happened there, that it was just... Okay, so I can see this from a different angle, and it, it's exciting. Mm -hmm. It's new. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the idea, the general idea of the figures and your work, and and all this, where does that come from? Is there is there any backstory for that? Well, yes. <laughs> uh, there are many backstories. Right. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> the first one has to do with the primal aspect of a face-to-face -face encounter. Just the language of eyes, the nonverbal language of communication. That's always been really interesting to me because I identify, I don't identify with verbal communication. I identified, used to anyway, who knows, the things change. But for a long time, I was very fixated on just the face and the nonverbal kind of exchange that happens eye to eye. So there's that. And the fact that it's very primal, 
was okay. That's so that's one level, and then um, I've always been interested in psychology as well, like, and psychological. The idea that they were psychological portraits, not visual representations of actual people, but more psychological. And I was pretty fixated on this idea. Like yeah. I explored the hell out of it. Right. <laughs> you know? Relentless kind of, almost like obsessive compulsive repetition. But the nice thing about when you narrow the field like that is that there's a lot of variation that emerges. So that's why I was always fascinated to like, how can you keep this interesting with this simple form? Then that's the other thing is that um, the figure is is sort of everything, and it's also nothing, hmm. and that fascinates me. Like the fact that we we mm, the figure is loaded, you know. Like we always project a lot onto people, you know, before they even say anything. We 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 we're already reading, oh, right? Totally reading for and interpreting the person. Yeah. So I like the vehicle of the the figure for that reason, and it activates that um, mechanism in us. And so that was part of my fascination with it. And yeah, so projection, that phenomenon of projection is is what was partly interesting me. Right. Well, yeah. you said that like about 85% of the communication between two people happen with no words, right? Yeah. And it's true. I mean, you can sense the energy wherever you go of like the room or like somebody greeting you or something without yeah it's so true i mean have you ever had any professional i don't know psychoanalyst i would i would guess that it's the people who like look at you know like they tell they tell you okay so paint like a house or something or like draw a house mm -hmm. and then they would draw conclusions out of your drawings have you ever had anybody looking at your paintings well <laughs> I mean, the earliest portraits, which uh -huh. were imaginary, uh -huh. in quotation marks, because I don't really believe in imagination in that way. I think everything's constructed. Sure. But they all arrived at a similar sort of psychological tone. Or When you had all these figures surrounding you, they all were looking at you as if they were damaged. And they all had, there was this trauma. There was this sense of trauma. And I don't... I never wanted to psychoanalyze myself, right. but it was pretty evident that there was something consistent about these people, and it wasn't a happy thing. <laughs> it, it was not. I don't know if you know those portraits. Do yeah. You? Do you yeah, know the yeah, early yeah. ones? Well, I mean, I've, I've seen a lot of, of, okay. your, of your paintings. I'm, I'm not really sure if I... The earliest ones from yeah. 97. Right. The first ones were from 97. I had a show, and they came out almost out of nowhere because I had been working abstractly. And they all seemed, they all kind of arrived and I framed them in traditional frames like portraits would be, but they were all disturbed looking in the same, kind of in the same way. They all looked different, but they all had a kind of disturbing aspect. Uh -huh. And so that was revealing. Right. Because I didn't intend that necessarily, but that's, that's who arrived. That's who came. And people could see it. You know, it's, it was pretty visible. Right. Yeah. And how do you, I mean, <laughs> you yourself must have like drew, like drawn I identified with them. Yeah, exactly. I definitely identified with them. And in fact, I can't, if I make a painting of someone and I don't like them, 
then I know I have to keep going because I actually have to like them in the end yeah. somehow. So they have to have this quality of some kind of vulnerability or, yeah, that's that's quite important. Right. I have to be able to identify with them. Uh -huh. That usually means they're pretty vulnerable. <laughs> so do you feel that your practice... It's just like evolving with you as a person too, as in, in terms of like what it's portrayed in your paintings. It's kind of like revealing of what's going on with you. That's a good question. Um, it must be. Mm. I think it must be. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when you look at someone's work, you you so often feel like, oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. That's like who they are. Mm. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Know. It's so different to look at work of people that you know. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, yeah, you so, can recognize the person. Yeah. The work. So what happens when, when you look at your past work, say like that work from like 97, what happens now? You know, I look at it now and I, in some ways I think that it was a strong body of work. I'm glad I've moved on from that though. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, part of their power came from the fact that they seemed, they sort of came out of nowhere and they all kind of arrived with that same emphatic energy energy yeah 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 but this is the thing about making art like you have to keep moving it doesn't stand still it doesn't stay still so even though i stayed with the portrait for a long time they sh they moved away from that as soon as i started using other source material um they moved into other content areas as well about desire and beauty and grotesque and all kinds of I think they got more complex, more layers, and and then moved on from that. Yeah. So it's always shifting. It's always shifting. And you're you're sort of that's the beauty of it, is that you're changing, you're making something that is changing, and then you're trying to interpret what that change means. Yeah, that must be really interesting because it just comes from you, but I guess it's it's a lot easier to see it in retrospective. Totally. Like, like when you are in the middle of it, like, yeah. you don't know. Yeah, you don't. Sure. It's mm -hmm. like we're in, going into the unknown. Yeah. And that's why it's exciting and that's why it's scary. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. I, I cannot imagine what kind of things would come out of me. <laughs> 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 no, but yeah. Um, about what you said before of that you don't trust that is totally full on imagination because you think that is already constructed. I, I, I do have a question for you on that. So when you were studying, uh, you're doing your MFA or undergrad, there was no Instagram, right? Right. So I, I wonder, I mean, like now you're looking at so many more things, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So how do you think that affects? You mean the inundation of yeah. images? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting because ideas can come from anywhere. I mean, before there were images, there was just life itself, right? <laughs> I mean, you're looking around, you're walking, you're you're seeing people. Like I used to get ideas from the people I would see at the grocery store that would mm. give me an excuse to make a painting um, based on something I saw, you know, if they had an interesting face. I mean, it's fascinating. So I've been looking for that kind of inspiration just in real life. Um when I started using photographs, I was 
spend I would spend a lot of time just looking through magazines mm-hmm. as an archive and and wait until something you know struck a chord or could give me an excuse to start a painting. And now with with Instagram um, and social media, I mean, I'm not even sure that it's that different, really. I don't. So far, I haven't used anything that I've seen. I don't think. Um, in digital images, there's something about the material materiality of a photograph that I can actually hold in my hand that changes how I interact with it. And those things that are in the virtual world, they, they're not as real to me yet. Mm. They might become so, I don't know. But there's still kind of a, an unreality to it that makes it not... I mean, I might maybe I can get an idea from from it sometimes, but I couldn't name one yet. That's very interesting because honestly, I think that the generation that is younger than me, say like I don't know, twenties now, I think that's the reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think that. Yeah, honestly, I mean, the paper prints and all that. I think they're getting behind at least in that kind of like segment. Mm-hmm. Like all the imagery that they consume is probably from social media. So that's pretty interesting. But what that, do they do with it? Oh, where well, does it go? As I, we were saying before, like you get anxious. <laughs> <laughs> Number one. Yeah, you can't process it because it's yeah. too much. Yeah, it's way too much. Yeah. There's a there's a new thing that they they were like, kind of like addressing as a health uh, as a public health thing that is like information overload. Right. Oh yeah. Which is oh, yeah. you want to read all the articles that you can, right, or they come right, across right. you. Or do you yeah. want to yeah. see all the pictures and all these things? Yeah. But no, uh, it's too much. Yeah. It's what I'm much. saying is that it's really interesting that for you that is not real. Mm-hmm. You know, which mm-hmm. is I think is great. <laughs> yeah, I'm still addicted to Instagram now, though. Oh yeah. And that's you a are? problem. It's a problem. What do you look at? Well, the feed. Yeah, but I mean, it's, like, you look at mostly art, or what? What kind of like things do you? No, it's like whatever the people I'm following post uh-huh. could be art, but uh-huh. often it's not. It's life. Yeah. 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 That that's what I think uh it gets uh the more anxious people. <laughs> I don't like it. Yeah. I mean I love it, yeah. but I hate it. That's true. It's <laughs> like that. It is like that. You know, I go through like times when I delete it from my phone. Oh really? I delete it and like I still have a, an account, but uh-huh. it's just not on my phone because oh, okay. it just Sometimes it grabs you so hard. I don't like it. I don't like what it's doing to me. It's yeah. No? Got, it's got me in its grips. I don't like that. Yeah. I used to not have a, a access to the internet at my studio at all. Right. I had a phone, but yeah. it didn't have, it wasn't a smartphone. And now that I have a smartphone, it's poison. It's like, it's always calling to me. Yeah. And I don't like that. It's Honestly, not good. Yeah. I, I totally feel like that. It's I was talking to somebody and I was saying that it's like a third arm. Mm-hmm. Like if I don't have it close to me, it's, yeah. it feel I feel weird. I know. I feel like where is it? I know. <laughs> it's true. I mean, like honestly, the, the only time when I'm away from my phone is when I'm working out. Yeah. And I I, I mean, I cannot really be doing both, right? Mm-hmm. So that's great. It's mm-hmm. a good break. But any other time, I'm like always there. Yeah. It's embarrassing though. I know. Because... I have an app that, well, I guess like another app. That, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. It's meta, but um, that counts the time oh my God. that you are on oh, screen. No. no. It's terrible, that oh thing. Oh, my God. It is bad. No. Oh, 
Yeah. I wanted to sort of like test it. It's embar- it's embarrassing. <laughs> oh my God. So yeah. That, I mean, yeah, that would be embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. I, I was thinking about that. I was like, I wouldn't want anyone to know how many times exactly. I checked my email, for example. Yeah. Embarrassing. Exactly. And un- like- so unnecessary. Why do we let our lives take this turn? Because it's an it's addictive. It is that's what it is though now. I mean, you can probably try to improve your mm-hmm. usage. You can limit it, yeah. But I mean, you got to be connected. There's no way around. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that that's what it is now. If yeah. you want to communicate, that's the way it is. And and that's that's kind of like what I was trying to get to in in terms of what the students are looking now and what you when you were students were looking at. Mm-hmm. And in terms of um, what kind of influences mm-hmm. you're getting mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I don't know how it changes, right, with with all the availability of things, of, mm-hmm. of images mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah, well, the interesting thing about painting is that it still takes as long as it takes to make a painting. Mm-hmm. It's not gotten faster it's no faster to make a painting now than it was when I was a student. Yeah. So it's now become something that's interesting because it's slow and because it allows you to spend time yeah. on something that is not going to, you know, be done in, you know, it just it takes the time that it takes. So it's, I think it's very healthy in a way for, for, for students to have something that's got a different sense of time to it. Totally. Yeah. I was looking at uh, this interesting economics of art paper that I found around. And um, uh, there's like this graph where they show you what type of art is the most popular in the market. And there's nothing compared to paintings. Really? Yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to say photography. No. Painting is about like 35, 37%, which is like a big chunk. Mm -hmm. And then all the other ones, they use like a smaller. But painting is the main consumable, I guess. Right, yeah. But the thing is, again, though, I mean, we're talking about macro economics of art, so big data that exists in, in mm. art, in the art market. Um, but yeah, that, that was pretty interesting to me. I thought that photos was going to be like mm-hmm. a, a yeah. big one, but no. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, painting is very, it's very practical in that way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can transport it. Yeah. Yeah. You can put it everywhere. You can sell it. Sell it. Well, that's the thing, right? I mean, that that's the interesting thing about those kind of like analyses that they're not analyzing the second market. Like they never analyze from the artist and out. They always analyze what happens with the work outside your hands. Right. And that is kind of like tricky too. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. it's like, it's so far. And that's what I've been thinking. Like, how, how do you, like, what do you think of art market? What do you think of, of the commercial aspect of it? Uh, like I said, I I don't I don't really spend a lot of time thinking about it. The way that that's fine. You know, I'm not really critical of it. I uh, I don't like to go to art fairs and s- see it live, but I'm really glad that I'm doing something that does have a commercial value because uh, I think that. It's nice to for the work to go out and be in be go, go beyond your studio and have a home to go to and and have people live with it and 
It's very exciting when work leaves the studio and never comes back. Yeah. <laughs> you get more space to get some other You get stuff. more space to make more work. <laughs> and you have the illusion that someone really cares about it. Oh, well, I think, <laughs> I mean, hopefully it's not only an illusion. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully. Um, but also, um, you know, if it has a market value, you get the benefit of being able to support, not support yourself, but to aid you in supporting yourself or to cover some of your costs. Mm -hmm. And it's nice in a way. I find it nice that there's some commercial value to what I do. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. From the beginning when you started to produce art and all that, was it really hard to access it, to access the uh, commercial side of things? Yes, and it wasn't part of my expectation. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't uh, really care about selling work. Mm -hmm. It wasn't important. The important thing was making good work and the work doing whatever, being able to make whatever you wanted to make. And I really didn't worry about sales mm -hmm. at all because I had a teaching job. Yeah. And I didn't have a commercial gallery for a little while. And then I had a commercial gallery that never sold anything. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's a commercial gallery. <laughs> Uh, but it was a venue that supported what I did. Yeah. And with occasional sales. So, I mean, it's a pretty, it's pretty rough if you're relying on sales for your income and your livelihood, because I wouldn't want to be in that position. Mm -hmm. It's, it, then it will probably determine what you do. And for the freedom of totally. being able to do what you want to do and what you feel is important, you can't be relying on the outcome. Yeah. You have to I, be able to go into the unknown and feel like, okay, <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. And it doesn't really matter in terms of, you know, sales because this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I understand that. And what I feel is that it's not the same at all. It's like a, it's like if it was like a different field of, of interest. Mm -hmm. It's like it's basically just like stock market mm -hmm. at some point. Mm -hmm. It is, it is just passing it on and all that. That the artist has zero to do with that, and it's just beyond any kind of like artistic practices or even like gallery practices or maybe maybe a little bit of the gallery because that's what they do, right? Mm -hmm. But I do feel that it's like there's a huge disconnection there. It's related because it's closely related but at the same time it's so different it's, yeah i agree it's, right completely different yeah so i was i was i was reading this all this uh literature on economy and all that i f i felt that yeah i felt a huge kind of yeah. like disconnection with it they could have been talking about cows mm -hmm. yeah and you know it just numbers and graphs and 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 they just talking about one market right that relates to any other market And I mean, it's a little bit interesting because it's very special mm -hmm. that there's no way to to declare any precise value on things. That's what is interesting about the art market. Mm -hmm. That is so wild. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, not everybody gets the same prices for no. the same thing. No. It is another world. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's it's exactly. another world. Yeah. yeah. And That, most most artists are not in the crazy part of it. Exactly. Right? So... <laughs> I'm going to go back to the very beginning. You grew up in Winnipeg. Mm -hmm. How was that? Oh, well, you know, <laughs> I liked Winnipeg. 
It was it's home. It's a homely place. Have you ever been there? Never. No. Been to the prairies at all? No, no, oh. not yet. Okay. I haven't. Well, it's um, it's got its own stark beauty. Right. And the aesthetic of the prairies, I I have always really identified with it. And when I go back there, I feel like it fills me with oxygen. It's, huh. it's space, lots of space, mm-hmm. lots of open space, mm-hmm. big sky, Flat. good light. Yeah. Skies are amazing. Mm-hmm. So it's grand. You know, people don't always appreciate that who are not from there because they see it as flat, <laughs> empty. Yeah. I, I, when I said flat, I, I didn't mean like, I didn't mean boring. I meant like yeah. actually flat. Yes. Like no mountains. Literally. Yeah. Right. But like I always tell people, look up. Yeah. Because it may be flat on the ground. Yeah. But there's this incredible drama going on all the right. time in the sky. And the sky is huge. So it's not boring. Definitely. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I really connected with the, the sort of the nothingness of it, you uh-huh. know, like. And when I lived in Saskatoon, it was very funny because I always felt like, oh, the whole city was just there for me. You know, like I could walk down the street and not bump into anyone. <laughs> Is that true? It's really lonely? Almost. Huh. I mean, yeah, it, it's, it felt very, it's quiet. In a nice way. Yeah. You know, if you like quiet, which I do. Oh, wow. I think I like cities. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, I understand that, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We were deciding whether to go to a wedding that we were invited in Saskatchewan. Oh, in yeah. Regina. Okay. And then at the end, we couldn't go, but we were talking about it, Audrey and I, my girlfriend and I, and we were planning to drive. Oh, and my I was gosh. like, I was it's like, but, they, but there's like not nothing to see. And she was like, exactly. Like, <laughs> that is exactly something to see. Nothing. It was it was actually pretty good. I mean, yeah. like I like the idea. I really yeah. like the idea. Yeah. But we didn't do it. But we'll do it for sure. I it's mean, very far though. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody said like don't drive. <laughs> <laughs> it's days. Yeah. But I'm. Um, it can be fascinating too. I haven't driven it much. No. No. Once only. It's two, only two hours flight from here to Winnipeg. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Open spaces. What about your family? Is there any artists? Are there any yeah, artists in your family? My grandmother was my grandmother was an artist. Okay. Um, my sister and my mom both had are trained as interior designers and had some drawing talent. Yeah, so I was surrounded by paintings growing mm. up, my grandmother's paintings. And I was really involved with dance when I was a teenager and growing up. I was my first desire was to be a dancer. And do you practice? Oh, yeah. Dance. I was very intensively involved with the training for ballet. And then I discovered it was a performing art. <laughs> that and was the end of my dance career. Oh, really? <laughs> so you, you had like a, I what was, is it called, stage fright? Yeah, basically. I mean, I, I loved dance. I loved dancing and I loved the training. And I was enamored, very enamored with with it. But I didn't. I, I never really performed on a stage. So, and I wasn't interested in that either. Why? I don't know. I didn't, I didn't get the performing part. It was, for me, it was all just the, the, the rigor of the training that was interesting and that made me feel good. Um, but going on stage and performing, I got turned off when I went to Banff for a summer residency program in dance. And then the day we arrived, they strapped these numbers on us for an audition. And I'd never auditioned for anything before. <laughs> and you had to, like, put yourself forward in the most, like, 
you know, positive sort of way. And I, I was, I guess I was shy and yeah. I, I didn't feel comfortable. Uh, and in any case, I was not, I didn't have the right body for the, for dance, for ballet. And nor did I, I'm not good at suffering. Mm. I didn't like the pain, mm-hmm. you know, going on point, right? point shoes. I couldn't tolerate the pain. Yeah. It's very painful. Yeah. My sister and is a ballerina. Really? Yeah. Oh my God. On in point? Mexico. Yeah. Really? And we were in vacations like two years ago with her. Yeah. And we would be going out and everything at night. We were at the beach. And at five in the morning, she would be running. Running? Yeah. I mean, like, because it's like the training and everything. She was just kept it on. Doesn't matter what. Even if she went back to sleep at four, she would be running at five. Super disciplined. So yeah. it is It is very rigorous. So rigorous. And physically demanding. So demanding. And, you you know, you can't really eat very much. Mm-hmm. I like to eat. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, uh, and it's also a career that ends when you're very young also. Yes. Yeah. Let me make a connection there. Um, the social aspect of art in terms of like, for instance, like the vernissage and all those things and all that. Does that come easy to you? Well... At this point, yes, uh-huh. and but it was not something that I thought about in advance. I mean, just something that since I've entered the let's say professional world, when I started teaching, I started feeling a responsibility to be a aware of everything that's going on and support the community mm. of artists who are putting on shows and. So in Saskatoon, for example, like I went to all the shows, but that wasn't so hard because it's a small town, right. not that many shows. But <laughs> here in Montreal, you know, I still do go to a lot of openings, but I don't go to all of them. No. But I go to a lot of them. It's a lot. Yeah. And it's easy. It's an easy way to have a lot of social exchange without having to set it up yourself. True. Because it's all set up for you. True. <laughs> you True. just have to go and talk to people and... It's kind of nice, actually. I like it. That's a good way to see it. Because mm-hmm. sometimes I feel that it's, it's heavy to yeah. like always have to perform. Yeah. And, it's true. you know, have conversations that you you don't want to sound ever, like you don't have an opinion or, 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 or you know, mm-hmm. that you just don't have anything to say. And I don't know, maybe it's just my personality, but sometimes it feels like a little bit heavy. Sometimes you, f- you feel like, oh, I, just, I wish I could just see the show. Right. <laughs> it's true. I ha- actually, me and my partner Adrian, we, we usually don't want to go to an opening. Like the, the feeling is, oh, I just don't want to go. Uh-huh. But we force ourselves to yeah. go, and I usually enjoy it. It's true. The idea is what is heavy. It's always true. It's it is heavy. Because at the end, you like people there. It's like they're your friends, and so like you go to hang out with your friends. Yeah. But the idea of like doing that sometimes is it's like, work. It's work. work. Yeah. yeah. It's the that social stuff is work too. Yes. But yeah. usually it's enjoyable because it's well it's you know, you don't have to doesn't it's not like a painting that mm. you know, at the end of the day it's like, oh that didn't <laughs> that painting's terrible. <laughs> like you can go and have a nice time and you know, it's not product oriented. True. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting because I kinda like made the connection with what you were saying about performing. And that kind of performance. I see. Because it is it is kind of like a performance thing. Yeah, it's true. You want to be eloquent and all those things. So, yeah, I mean, that's... However, it's yeah. not that often that people have meaningful conversations about art at openings. You think? 
No. No, at least I'm not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, usually, you it's more of a social thing that is not that there's not a lot of demands on you in terms of. You My head is exploding now. Really? Like I've been doing it all wrong then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you think that you have to go and offer a critique that's meaningful, I mean, the artist always appreciates some feedback. Yeah. But, you know, with everybody else, you can just, like, talk about anything. It doesn't right. have to be about the art. <laughs> oh, no wonder why people, like, avoid me now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're working too hard. <laughs> No, but it's true that it's fun. I mean, it's just nice to go out there and like just have a glass of wine and just yeah. also like. I mean, I think if if I think it, it's good if you're if you're really engaging with the work and you know I mean if I go to a museum, yeah, that's what I'm doing. I'm mm-hmm. definitely engaging with the work, but I don't expect myself to talk about it to anybody. Mm-hmm. But that's not a social event. That's me engaging with art. Other kinds of openings that are more social, I don't expect to engage with the art in the same way right for sure yeah i mean i I really enjoy going to the museum in a tuesday morning you know there's just nobody yeah perfect and it's just (laughs) yeah i really like that for sure um but yeah i wanted to ask you also about you being um part of a jury in painting contests Mm -hmm. do you do that often no not really i've done it twice Mm -hmm. only um for the RBC jury. Yeah. And sometimes I do it at school for undergraduate prizes. Also, you know, juries for selection of the graduate students. We do that every year. True. So that's also a jury. Yeah. How's that go? Let's talk about prizes first, like the RBC prize. Mm-hmm. What kind of things does the jury look at? What kind of aspects of the artist beyond just the actual work do you look at, like career and all that? In the case of the RBC jury, we did not look at careers. It's supposed to be based on the work itself. You know, there's a limitation on how long people can apply for it. They have to be in the early stages of their career. And then you get like five images, two of, I think it's I think it's like two or three of past work that sets a context for the work they're presenting. And then... Then you see the three images of the current work. Um, but you don't really look at, you're not supposed to, I don't think, look at their previous history. And I can't even remember if there's a statement that they supply. Mm-hmm. I think I think, I think that uh, that's part of it, too. A statement? Yeah. Yeah. Like a quick, like two paragraphs or something like that. Right. Yeah. yeah. So you're basing it primarily on the work uh-huh. itself. And you look at digital images, and then you see the actual work Ah, in person. Right. Is that important? Yes. Yeah. Very. Yeah. Yeah, because work can look fantastic on a digital screen, and then you see it in person, and it's a little disappointing. It happens often, yeah. It can happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's interesting just because I was thinking of this kind of like thought exercise of, say, you don't know anything at all about the artist. Or, or even even better, like sort of like a like a double blind study mm. in terms of like you bring these paintings from Canada to I don't know Russia mm-hmm. where they don't know anything about the artist, and then you make the jury decide. And, and I'm putting this on the table because I want to like segue into the career of an artist as a you know as a as a way to 
get access to more things and to get access to galleries and all this, the career itself more than the actual work. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so what do you think of that connection? Of course, that is important because that happens. But how do you feel that that translates into, say, the contests and also the careers? Mm -hmm. It's gotten more complicated with the whole digital revolution. The fact that everyone has a website now. Mm -hmm. So even though you're not supposed to look at more than the six works that are provided, you can go and look online and see what else there is of that person and get more information. Um, and then the people who actually win these contests like get sort of skyrocketed to instant notoriety or fame, whatever. They, you know, it can be, have a huge influence on their careers. Huge. They can, they're usually picked up by a gallery pretty quickly. And all of a sudden there's a big buzz about their work. So it's really exciting and wonderful for the people who are successful. Um, even if you're a finalist, you get a lot of attention yes. and that's good too. So, and also for in the case of painting, it brings attention to painting and how alive it is as a medium. So I think, I think there's a lot of good things about it. Um, however, you know, and I don't know if this is a bad thing or not, but like people, grad students, for example, when the contest is coming up, they start making work for it. Mm -hmm. So there's a, there's a, you know, it has to be certain dimensions and I'm sure it affects how they think about what they're doing, but maybe not, maybe it's not a bad thing. You know, maybe it's interesting because it forces them to think about an audience. Sure. And that's interesting. Um, and, oh yeah, I did have a graduate student once who was making work for how it would look online. And I thought that was so weird. I was like, but we're here in person. <laughs> no, but Doesn't that matter? Like how it's going to look yeah. live in person? It's like, it, it mattered more how it was going to reproduce yeah. than what it actually was. I thought that was a strange way to think. Right. You know, because for me, it was always the work is first. Yeah. And then there's a document of it. Physic physical actually reality of the work. Yeah, but now it's sort of like well, the that, document confirmed. But that's what we were talking about before, right? Like, yeah. the, what is the reality? What is the reality? Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. And, and some artists are just Instagram artists, right? It, it, that's that's something that Jeannie told me when, when we were talking about this. And she said, you know, there's some work that should only exist there. Mm -hmm. Like, that's a work. Mm -hmm. That's Your Instagram account is your work. That yeah. is the piece. Yeah, you know? that makes sense. And that makes sense. I mean, like... Yeah, it's a new it's a new form. It is a new medium. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it is where it's moving towards. But I don't know. But it's not going to displace painting. That's exactly right. I mean, like, how do you, <laughs> what do you do with it at the end? It's just to show? Because what are you going to do with it? Like, you're going to, like, put it in a gallery? Or the maybe they get, the they, Instagram thing? Yeah. Oh, yeah, they'll put it in a gallery. They do. They will. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it's true. <laughs> I'm thinking short. Or maybe the gallery is going to be online. There's an online yeah, gallery. Yeah, there's that too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, a lot of galleries are closing because yeah. they realize that the physical space is not as important anymore because they can disseminate the work through digital media. Yeah. Some people are buying work through Instagram. Or artsy. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's really changed uh, how how uh, things are being marketed, but I'm not sure what happens. Like, so you buy something that way and then you get it. And then like, what if you don't like it? Can you send it back? Maybe. 
Probably, yeah, I right? think they probably there's probably those must be. guarantees and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Must be, yeah. Probably. When I asked Megan this, like, do you guys sell online? And she said, okay, so what is online? Because it's true. I mean, you may look at the work online, but then you go to the gallery and what is that? Is that online sale or it's they came to the gallery then to see it, right? And so it is that kind of like thing. It's mm-hmm. like, how do you des- describe that? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I bet you are exposed to so many things with the students, like mm-hmm. the crazy new ideas. How do you like that? It's not really so much because the students that I deal with are still trying to make paintings. Almost all of them. A lot of them are more, more multidisciplinary, like they're making paintings, but they're also in a band and they make ceramics and they do a lot of things. It's not so kosher anymore to just be a painter. You have to be doing some other things also. Yeah. But they're usually, if they're trying to make paintings, it's a pretty uh, demanding in terms of time. So I don't deal that much with new forms that are emerging. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's still classic, mm-hmm. kind of. And have you ever found that you get influenced by the students? Um, I don't know, actually, what influence means exactly. I might, I might see something that I think is a really good idea and maybe think about how I can appropriate it <laughs> for myself in some way. But I, I, I think that, you know, influence is an interesting thing because... I mean, I think we're all influenced all the time by lots of things, and that's we rely on that and we depend on it for inspiration, in quotation marks, for um, developing what we do. But it doesn't mean, like, if, if what you then do with it is only derivative of something else, then it probably isn't going to be interesting and... Sometimes you see someone who's making work that's just like someone else's and you see it. It's like, oh, that's just like so-and-so's work. So it's not very interesting and it doesn't feel like theirs. So, you know, you transform whatever influences you in your own way and then it's yours. Right. So I don't worry too much about that. Uh And I try to encourage students to also not worry too much about that unless what they're doing is a copy. Mm -hmm. Um. I want to ask you a funny question. And <laughs> I hope that you can be really honest. How do you fail your class? Oh, what, how could is, somebody yeah, fail? How could somebody fail your class? Uh, it's impossible. Oh, yeah? Unless you don't show up. Yeah, if you don't show up, you'll fail. <laughs> um, also, it. if you... I mean, it's rare that I fail people. It's rare that anyone fails people in studio arts. But mostly it's like if you simply, you know, are not there. Yeah. I mean, I suppose it should be possible to fail even though you are there, Um, but it's rare. What I'm angling towards is to say that marks probably don't matter that much, but they do when you are applying for grants and for things, right? Mm -hmm. So it's always... Yeah. So it's a thing. Well, this is something that is often discussed in my department, and my program, because people tend in the studio arts, there's a problem with grade inflation. Like a lot of students yeah, expect okay. high grades yeah. and they don't know how you can assess them as, you know, it's some subjectivity involved and etc. So it's difficult. Low, low grades are not that common in, in studio arts, but right. um, yeah, even a difference between an A and a B makes a difference. 
Oh, for sure. And students do worry over that. Well, they're still students. I mean, it doesn't yeah. matter what it is, right? Right. Like everybody wants a, right. wants an A. Yeah. Yeah. We have always have it trying to convince students that a B is a good grade. But, it's almost like a B is a failure. But but the thing is, like, can you convince the art counseling of Quebec that B is a good grade? They don't look at grades. You think? No. Mm -mm. The only people who look at grades are the like the MFA ah. entry mm -hmm. jury. Yeah, they might look at the grades for the undergraduate, and then at the, and then after that, grades just don't come into it at all. Okay. After the grads. I mean that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, they don't look at that. Yeah. So. But MFA does. When you're applying to the MFA, yeah, yeah, the transcript for your undergraduate can be considered. Yeah. Talking about MFA. You mm -hmm. went to Yale. I did. How was that? It was great. <laughs> I loved being in school. Yeah. My undergraduate, I was also great. I, I loved being a student um, all six years of it. All six and years. And pri prior to those six years, I was a student uh, in liberal arts for like in and out of liberal arts programs for four years. So yeah. I loved being a student. Yeah. Much more than being a teacher. Ah. <laughs> yeah. I, I went to a show uh, recently, to an MFA show of Yale oh. painting oh. in uh, New York. Really? Yeah. Wow. It was a very tiny gallery in yeah. Chinatown. Okay. But it was fantastic. It was good? I loved it at least. Really? I don't know how much my wow. opinion matters, but I wow. really liked it. Oh, cool. Yeah. Just painting? Painting, yeah. And oh. sculpture, but like painting based, kind of, you know, like. Oh, wow. Yeah. Really, really interesting mm -hmm. stuff. Good. Was, yeah. Glad yeah. to hear that. Yeah. Like when I was there, there weren't, it was sort of an old guard in place. There were, yeah, older faculty and not really very many women. Right. But it was very studio-based. It was not theory-driven at all. And uh, the, what was wonderful about it was that there were 40 painters, 20 in each year from all over the U.S., so it was just, you know, a huge community of peers. So it, it, it was exciting. Right. And you were the Canadian of the group. I was the Canadian, yeah. Was it? Was that, that, means, a, that meant yeah. I was quiet. Uh -huh. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Yeah. How was living in the States? Uh, I loved it. I found it really interesting, but I don't know how much I was really exposed right. to. Because I was in a pretty privileged situation. Yeah. It was a bit scary sometimes, the neighborhoods. And, you know, it did feel divided. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In Baltimore. I lived in Baltimore. Sure. And yeah. New Haven, both of them yeah. kind of very split. For sure. You know? I mean, I don't think it has changed. It's probably worse now. Yeah. Yeah. But I was not really exposed too much. Yeah. Kind of like following that idea. Has that ever, ever been like a focal point of your practice in terms of thinking about race and like other socioeconomical issues? I know that it doesn't come out in the portraits, mm -hmm. but has that ever been like an idea that you explore? Social justice else? issues? Yeah, like social issues. Oh, no, only, only insofar as... You know, I'm a human being, so I hope that my work is relate relatable to people yes. who are also human beings. Yeah. <laughs> and that, you know, I mean, I let's face it, you know, most 
people don't go to art galleries at all. At all. So True. there's a very limited audience that it's a you're... niche, yeah. It's a niche. Yeah. And even amongst middle class and upper middle class people don't, don't, don't go to galleries either. So it's a pretty specialized audience. And yeah, it's is that make it a very elitist thing? I guess. I don't know. No, I mean, I think uh, I was exploring this idea with Megan Bradley. And she was telling me that, yeah, it is niche. And yeah, it is like for a very specific segment of the population. Mm -hmm. There's some other things for everybody else. Yeah, visual art is not so... I think it requires a lot more um, investment. Yeah. But no, not like money investment, like time, you know, like the investment of time and like energy into... Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, it's true. Getting in there. Yeah, into, it's not obvious. It's really no. not obvious in the same way that, you know, dance or music. How did you get in into it? Uh, friends, I think. Uh, yeah, my friend, Raul, uh, he's an artist. He's an artist here. And um, we knew each other from since Mexico. And he, he went to school at Concordia. And then I started to just go around with him looking at shows and stuff and it's the story that I always tell but I remember the first time that I saw a performance I had no clue mm -hmm. what was going on there but I got really into it and I didn't know why mm. so it was like a thing of I felt from the beginning that there was a lot of theory in it like a lot of uh, knowledge and all that and I, that kind of like fascinated me that mm -hmm. it was a little bit in, in the same realm that I was in, like, kind of academia. Right. But in a very wild way, okay. in a really different way, wow. right? Yeah. It's nice that you had the openness of mind to be able to be present and engage with something like that. I guess. I mean, it's... I had no idea that I had it, though. I mean, right. Yeah. I think that that's not uncommon. Like, even for me, who's... You know, I've been in this world for such a long time now, and... I know, I understand how making is important for me, but I'm surprised how, you know, experiencing art is meaningful. Mm. It kind of surprises me because I, you know, when I go to other cities, I always go to the museums and I look, I engage with art and I feel it's, well, it's sort of like home to me in a way now just because I'm so used to it. But I'm always sort of surprised at how trans, sort of transformative it is mm -hmm. because it's not, it's really not obvious like how it functions and, but it's nourishing somewhere, somehow. It's so true that it's not obvious in terms of, for instance, like if you try to explain why. Yeah, if you try to explain like, why do you like exactly. it? I get anxious because I cannot really express it so well. Mm -hmm. As I feel it, I think, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, they've started to take doctors into museums. Did you hear about this? No. I saw an article about it. They were doing it in Winnipeg, but they're also doing it elsewhere, I think, to teach doctors how to communicate. Oh. <laughs> they're taking them to museums and having them talk about the art and experience it. And I thought that was really, really interesting. That is interesting. very cool. That is very cool. Uh, but it really, first of all, art does require knowledge and understanding and hi history, but it also is something that you can engage with without that, if you trust yourself and your responses to things. It always kind of amazes me that my own sister and my own mother, they don't go to art museums. They don't 
experience or need to have that experience. I mean, for me, it's a professional practice to go and see shows. And I know how to engage with them because I have been thinking about it for so long and there's a context and a history. But, you know, people don't seem to need it in the same way. Like, yeah. you know. But they may be getting it from somewhere else. They're getting it from somewhere else. You know, they get, I think everybody needs it. Yeah, I agree. It's either religion mm-hmm. or like maybe they do yoga <laughs> or like things right. like that. You right. Know? It's a contemplative thing. I think it is more like an almost like spiritual thing. Yeah. Like you get like full of it when you go to the museum or gallery, when you really like it. Yes. And even when you don't also, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that people are just functioning in a different way, which is yeah, absolutely like valid. I don't know. I, as I was saying, my colleagues have a very different way of seeing things. And my friends from my childhood, I never talk about this with them ever because it is not shared. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah. we may talk about music, yeah, but would never really. I mean, I would never feel comfortable because, because it's true that it requires a lot more previous knowledge. Yeah, that is not fair just to throw somebody out there and say like, oh, so by the way, what do you think of? Right. No. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah, but I mean, if you go to a show or uh, go to the museum with someone and you mm. look together mm-hmm. at something, everyone can. Yeah respond and talk about what they see yeah and yeah. feel yeah looking at something yeah I'm pretty pretty glad that I'm I go there somehow me too yeah <laughs> I'm glad you did oh I no, mean, I'm I think glad, it's yeah. super super int- I'm glad I did too yeah <laughs> <laughs> I feel very very lucky and and happy that I found something that is so engaging and that unfolds and keeps It's so complex that you can't exhaust it, you know, like you never get bored. I remember I had a teacher when when I was an undergraduate student who said, you guys are so lucky because you'll never be bored. True. And it's kind of true. True. Yeah, like I'll get exhausted before it gets exhausted. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So uh, let me ask you back then again, um, did you ever consider doing anything else like when you were deciding what to study? Well, initially, I thought I was going to do philosophy. Uh-huh. I did that for a bit. But then it seemed like they were just arguing for the sake of arguing. And it wasn't about actual truth or, you know, what's real, and what's true. It was more about who can make the best arguments. So that then became unsatisfying. And and so after that, I lucked, I sort of lucked into it. It was actually my sister who suggested that I go into fine arts because uh-huh. I was drawing on mm-hmm. my own. And I, I didn't have any confidence. I thought I was just not very good. So I did it for my own pleasure. And uh, she encouraged me. She was the artist in the family, the visual artist. Right. So she encouraged me. I was like, really? Me? I could do this? And yeah. It's only you and her? Yeah. In the family? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What does she do? She is, she used to have her own business in commercial furniture sales. And oh, yeah. She now has, she still works in that field. Yeah. Interior design, you said, right? That was her training, yeah, oh, interior you, design. Yeah. She didn't like it very much, though. No. So she moved on. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Is she still in Winnipeg? She is. Yeah. She's still in Winnipeg, yeah. She'll be here this week, though, to see my show. Oh, that's good. Yeah. But oh. she's going to love it. 
I hope so. <laughs> Even if she doesn't, she'll say she does. So that's the great thing. She knows how to respond. <laughs> oh, that's nice. That's, that's a good sister. Yeah, it's a good sister. Yeah, oh, that's great. Um, probably this is the last question. But how do you feel about like being a public figure? I wish I was more of a public figure. Yeah, you wish you were more? Um, I don't know. Um, I mean, people know your work. In Montreal. Yeah, well, Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. It feels good. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. That is also a little bit of the why I started this project is because I was going through a thing also with my career and I wanted to know like how other people think about their own careers mm -hmm. and how do you get that thing of I'm feeling good about me, you know, say like validation. Right. Like, the validation. Yeah. yeah. I, it's very, very difficult in art. I don't know what it's like in other fields. Maybe it's the same. I, I mean, I think it's, it's very different because for a field like mine, I guess if you get a job and then you're like kind of like moving up in the stairs of at least in industry, it's just basically having a job and like, yeah, you know, kind of like working on something interesting, maybe. Yeah. In academia, I guess it's like getting tenure, like right. which some friends are getting into that stuff. But, you know, it's, it's kind of like very uh, defined. But in art... Yeah. It's yeah. really difficult. Right. I have this conversation with my partner because we're both artists and, you know, we both have shows on right now, actually. Where is he showing? Adrian uh, Norvid, he's showing at the FOFA gallery. But anyways, we talk about, you know, what do you want from this show? And because it's hard, you work so hard towards a show, you put it up and then you walk away and you're like, waiting for some kind of resounding sound and there's like not very much coming back so it's very difficult yeah. you know to know like what's fair to expect and how should you feel you know when there's not a lot of response and what you know what are what are the goodies that you can reasonably expect to have from yeah. putting your work out there well, there's for, no answer but for you at the gallery a commercial gallery like Parisian Laundry mm-hmm I think it is a little bit um, expected, I guess, to have collectors coming in to see your work. And that's kind of like an expectation, right? Like a valid expectation. Yeah, it is. Do you ever meet them? Sometimes. Yeah. I love meeting them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really it gratifying. Nice. Yeah. I love meeting the people who actually buy the work and live with it. I, uh -huh. It's so uh, exciting to... They don't seem to realize how meaningful it is to the artist that someone is actually investing and in, in living with the work. Right. So, yeah, no, that's a thrill. Yeah, but it's a very, it's a very difficult business to be in when, you know, if you're not in a commercial context, for example, you know, then what counts yeah. as validating? And it's very difficult to know what to expect. And it's hard to suddenly, like, have this fo intense focus and then and then you're free of it, which is great because it's a relief because you've been under a lot of pressure. But then you're like, okay, what's the meaning of my life? What am I supposed to be doing next? You know? Yeah. It's, that is also interesting for me that say you are not represented by a gallery and you have a show, you know, an important, say, artist-run center. Mm -hmm. And you have the attention, right? Mm-hmm. My question is, what do you do with it? Like, how do you seize the moment? Yeah, right. Really, in Canada. 
in Canada, which is like <laughs> very tiny. Where to go. Yeah. yeah, like you know, what's funny in all these economics readings that I told you that I've been I've been doing. Canada is not even mentioned. No. Brazil is mentioned, and like India is mentioned. Well, India is like two billion people, but uh, you know, other countries that, in terms of economy, yeah. are not as big as Canada. Yeah, they are there, and like I no know. Canada. I know, I know. It's very disturbing when you think about it as an artist, like to be in a place that's not even on the map. Yeah, you know, I think that's hard for galleries as well. Yeah, you know, like even like Parisian Laundry, like they trying to make, you know, have an international presence, yeah. but it's really hard coming from from here. Yeah. Although we're pretty close to New York. Mm-hmm. But I wonder, like, I mean, that doesn't mean much. No, it doesn't. Yeah. No. Yeah, you have to come to terms with this location. Mm-hmm. It's very awkward. Right. <laughs> how, how, last one, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> how, how do you start working with Parisian? How did I? What's the story? Yeah, what's the story of that? Well, um, I uh, was approached. I knew Jeannie because uh, she went through our program. When I arrived in Montreal, she was just, I believe, finishing her undergraduate degree. Then she came into the graduate program and she did her grad degree. And then at the end of that, she started working at Parisian, I believe. So um, I knew her. Um, I didn't work directly with her, but I knew her and she knew me and she knew my work. And I can't, I think she, she approached me when the gallery started, changed its mandate. At first it wasn't a commercial gallery and then it became a commercial gallery and she started um, working with artists. And that's how I um, first started working with Pre Laundry. Right. But you were represented by... Other gallery. I have a gallery in Toronto. Oh, okay. Yeah. You I still didn't, have I it. never had a gallery here before. Oh, that. I see. I see. So yeah. that was, that's my first gallery in Montreal. Right. Mm-hmm. I see. But I was very, very uh, grateful yeah. always, you know, to Jeannie because it's been a wonderful uh, experience for me to, to work with Parisian Laundry and, and I've been very fortunate and they've done a lot of, they've done a lot for me. So. Mm. I'm always extremely grateful about oh, that's that. Good. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I feel lucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like the conversation with you. Yeah. It was really easy. Thank good. you. I, I, I mean, you were saying that the uh, spoken language is not your favorite, but you did super well here. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, it's probably seriously. 30 years of training as a teacher, probably. Um, yeah, I um, I do actually have my my idea about myself doesn't match who I actually am. Like oh, I think wow. of myself as someone who's inarticulate and has a lot of trouble speaking, but I that's not really what is true. No, anymore. you're very eloquent and articulate. <laughs> yeah, that's that primal thing, you know. I have that primal thing, anxiety. Are we still on record here? Yeah. <laughs> no, it doesn't, it doesn't quite matter. <laughs> I think that like when I grew up, it was very scary to talk Yeah, in my family. Right. Uh, because you would be attacked, huh. being criticized, yeah. heavily criticized. So it kind of shut me up. Oh. And I developed this idea that I couldn't really talk. Oh. But really, it was just I was scared to say anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So oh, you overcame that really well. 
Thank I you. Mean, Thanks. For sure. I mean, you're, you're a professor. <laughs> you're going to have it's to. It's still really hard. No. To, I still struggle to um, articulate things sometimes, depending on what it is, right? But, yeah. Like to talk about art is hard. It is. Totally. Like graduate students work and stuff. It's really difficult. Yeah. I honestly, when that's happening in, say, an, again, a vernissage, which I, now I learned that I shouldn't, but when, <laughs> <laughs> when that happens, I, I, tr I try just to listen because mm -hmm. I don't know what to say sometimes, you know? It's oh, like, it's very hard in that context yeah. to oh, say yeah. something meaningful. and and. Yeah. But what I mean is like when somebody gives you a little hint for Another axis? Yeah, yeah. It's keys. That's it really some good. Keys. Yeah, some keys, exactly. It's very helpful. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I I, th I see that that's important and necessary and good. And I like sometimes when I get the chance to do that with people. Mm -hmm. It opens it up. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Thank I really, you. I really enjoy my conversation with you. Me too. Thanks. Yeah, thank thank you. you. Thanks for your interest. Yeah, of course. I can't wait to see what you're going to do next. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you mean like with interviews? <laughs> no, I mean with your, your art life. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Art life. Yeah. I, I'm, I think that you're going to do something somewhere, somehow, uh, over time. You think? I mean, like, I, I'll, I, I'm I mean, gonna... you're already doing something, but yeah. I, mean, I think it'll develop in an interesting way. I don't know what you'll do, but even if you just continue to be an interested person. Yeah. So that was very nice to hear, that last comment there, where she told me that she thinks that I'll do something else in the arts. Uh, that was back in September of 2017, and uh, I was not planning yet to open Tahap. And yeah, that was that was very heartwarming for me when uh, I started editing this episode. Um, I was right in the middle of, of the renovations of the garage where Tahap is located. And I don't know, it was really nice to hear that. Anyway, so that was my conversation with Janet Werner. I really liked it. I hope that you guys have enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll be back in three weeks with another podcast about another show that will be opening at TAP. The Vernissage, the opening will be June 15th. And the artists are Laura Acosta and David Jaime Ruiz. It's going to be an interesting show. Uh, we'll tell you more about it in the next episode of Into This Podcast. This episode was edited and produced by me, Mark Stris Wilson, mixing, mastering, and music by Arcadio Lanz, and all the visual design was done by Victor Garibay. Thanks so much to Janet Werner for um, coming in and for being patient with me. <laughs> it took a while to release this episode, but finally it's here. So thanks to everybody for listening and we'll talk to you in three weeks. All right. Talk to you soon and enjoy the summer. Cheers. Cheers.